1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts.
2: Real love is calling, listen, opens up your eyes. Mercy is waiting for you with every sunrise. Here he is, a Gentile, a Roman centurion that God is going to send an angel to speak to him. God is going to pursue him and go after him. Because it isn't as if the good things that people do go unnoticed, God noticed. And the angel said so. But those good things aren't enough. And so God is going to now bring into Cornelius' life the apostle Peter, who's going to share with him the truth of who Jesus is.
1: This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through Acts. From a worldly perspective, doing good deeds or helping others is usually enough to be considered worthy by others. The mistake many people make is assuming doing good things in the name of the Lord is enough for God to accept you. As Pastor Gary explains in today's message, doing good is not enough. God does take notice of the good deeds, but you also have to know who Jesus is. Luckily, God sends people to share Jesus with you. Maybe he is sending you to share with someone else. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of Acts chapter 10 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection.
2: Just as a little backdrop to where we are in chapter ten, uh, we have to look back a little bit at, at chapter nine to understand the the continuation of the story. First of all, the first part of chapter nine had to do with Saul's conversion. So Saul, who will later be known more by his popular name Paul, the Apostle Paul, gets saved radically in chapter nine on his way to Damascus to persecute the church. He doesn't believe that Christians are legitimate. He believes that they are a heretical sect of Judaism. So he's doing everything as a Zealous Jew to persecute the early church. Uh, The Lord Jesus appears to him. Saul is radically saved then, and uh, he becomes uh, one that God is going to use in an amazing way, not only through the rest of the book of Acts, but also to write uh, about two-thirds of the New Testament. Uh, now Saul's on the back burner for now because he was. Uh, uh, they attempted to kill him. The Jews who did not believe in him would accept his radical transformation. So they tried to kill him not once but twice. Uh, They they tried to kill him in Damascus. The Bible says that his friends lowered him in a basket over the city walls of Damascus so he could escape. And then he goes to Jerusalem, and they try to kill him there as well. So his friends put him on a ship at Caesarea, which is a port city on the Mediterranean, send him to Tarsus, which is his hometown where he was born, and he's going to stay there. Uh, in obscurity for about 10 years. So we'll eventually get back to Paul later in the book of Acts, but for now we are revisiting the life of Peter. The same Apostle Peter, uh, through the Gospels, he's mentioned in the latter part of chapter 9. And it tells us that Peter goes from Jerusalem, just kind of on a, a little journey to encourage the early church. And he stops at a town called Lydda, that's mentioned in verse 32. And he found a man there by the name of Aeneas, who was paralyzed. And Peter prays for him and heals him in the name of Jesus. So we see this dramatic and miraculous healing and then he goes on from Lydda to Joppa, which is also a seaport city on um, the Sea of, of Galilee. This is, so here he is in Joppa at the end of chapter uh, 9, and he is there because he is called there from some friends to go from Lydda to Joppa, where there is a, a lady by the name of Tabitha, Tavita in Hebrew, which means gazelle. It's a pretty name. She has died, and he, Peter goes upstairs to where she is lying in state, and he prays over her and raises her from the dead. So this is just an incredible series of miracles we have here at the close of chapter 9. A paralytic gets healed by the name of Aeneas, and a lady who was dead comes to life again whose name was Tabitha. And then at the end of chapter 9, verse 42 and 43, it says, "...this became known all over Joppa, and many people believed in the Lord." And then it says, Peter stayed in Joppa for some time with a tanner named Simon. Now, please note that with me. I didn't comment on this at the close of last week's study, but it's important to recognize going into chapter 10 here, because Peter is staying at the home of a guy whose name is Simon, Shimon. So he's a Jew. Simon is a Jew. Peter's surname is Simon, Simon Peter. So they share the same name. So this guy is Jewish. He's staying at this guy's house who lives in Joppa. But it tells us that he is a tanner. He's a tanner. That's his trade. That's his occupation. Now, a tanner was someone who obviously, as it suggests, had to work with the raw hide of animals. And so therefore, his livelihood... Uh, included constantly dealing with dead animals. And because of that, a tanner was considered in in the Jewish circles as being unclean. You're not supposed to touch dead things. You're supposed to bury dead things as fast as you can. You're not supposed to make a living out of touching dead things. So the fact that Simon is a tanner is very unusual. And tanners in those days had to live 75 uh feet outside of the the village or or the town. Uh, and, and so in this case, Joppa, he had to live on the outskirts of town because they were seen as unclean. He couldn't even li- live in town. Now, the fact that Peter is staying at his house is even more unusual, but it kind of sets the tone for chapter 10. Because chapter 10 is going to be a chapter that helps Peter in particular and really all Jews at the time, and for that matter, all of us to understand that there are some things that we do because it's simply tradition and that God has a different perspective of things. And tradition would have taught Peter, you don't go into the house of a guy who deals with dead animals. But we automatically already here begin to see that Peter is not so concerned as much with the strict rules and regulations that aren't necessarily biblical. There's a lot of traditions that we embrace and we believe and we think are right, and they may not be biblical. And Peter is going to have his heart stretched here in chapter 10 to really accept something or someone or a group of people that up until this point he would never have accepted. So it's unusual that he's staying here at the home of Simon the Tanner. Now keep that in mind because it's going to play out a little bit in the story here into chapter 10. But in chapter 10, verse 1, it says, at Caesarea, we'll circle that town because that's a major uh, point of reference for chapter 10. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian Regiment. He and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and prayed to God Regularly. All right, so pause there because that's a quick introduction to Cornelius. We're going to read a lot more about him, but I want you to to notice now on our map, uh, we're talking about Caesarea now as we move into chapter 10. It is another seaport town on the coast of the Mediterranean. It is about 30 miles from Joppa. Joppa, by the way, today, on, on a map of Israel, Joppa is just on the outskirts of Tel Aviv. In fact, today it, Tel Aviv is called Tel Aviv hyphenated Jaffa, H- Tel Aviv Jaffa, because it is kind of conjoined with that small town of Joppa. Now, Joppa had more prominence back in biblical days than it does now. It's more of you know an ancient town, but Tel Aviv is is really the bustling city uh, of Israel today, and and so. Joppa, now up to Caesarea, 30 miles to the north, uh, we, we come across this guy whose name is Cornelius. A little bit about Caesarea. If you've been with me to Caesarea on one of our trips to Israel, this is kind of a bird's-eye view of the town from the Mediterranean looking back to the town. And uh, this this obviously is uh, a, a bunch of rocks and ruins at this point. Just wanted to uh, point out a couple of things. This This town, Caesarea, was founded by Herod the Great, and he was the one who really built out this town along the coast of the Mediterranean uh, from the years 25 to 13 B.C. And Herod the Great used this as his main residence because Caesarea was seen at the time as the headquarters For this particular province of the Roman Empire. Remember that Israel was under the domination of the Roman Empire at this particular time. And Caesarea was the capital of this area of the Roman Empire. And shouldn't it be? Right? I mean, you know, if you're going to have a capital somewhere, might as well pick it on the coast of the Mediterranean. And it is lovely, even though we're looking at a bunch of rocks and ruins. When you, if you've been with me to Caesarea, it's lovely. It's beautiful. And a breeze is always coming off the Mediterranean there. And let me point out a couple of things on the map. You can see up to the top of the screen, There's there's the ancient theater there that dates back To the Roman period. In fact, when we go to Israel, it's one of the places we stop. We have Bible study, and we actually study this chapter, Acts chapter 10, from the theater there in Caesarea. But this lower part here that, that juts out like a peninsula into the Mediterranean is really the ruins of Herod the Great's palace grounds. And one of the things that he had there, and and I'll just point to it, and you can barely see. There's a there's a rectangular area that still remains, and I put another little highlight over it. If you, I don't know if you can see that or not, but but Herod actually developed a a freshwater swimming pool on his grounds. Even though the Mediterranean is salt water, he was able to make a freshwater swimming pool right there, carved out of the niches of the the bedrock of the coast there of of Caesarea, and this is where he lived, and uh, you know, a little villa on on the coast of the Mediterranean. That's where Herod the Great lived. Uh, it will later become uh, not just Herod the Great's place of residence, but all the other governors uh, who succeed him. And one of the main uh, uh, players in the New Testament who was a ruler of this province in the days of Jesus was Pontius Pilate. And Pontius Pilate, the one who condemned Jesus to death, lived up here also at Caesarea when he succeeded Herod and he became the governor or the prefect of Judea. And he would only go, Pontius Pilate would only go down to Jerusalem during the feast time to kind of control the crowd. That's the reason he was down in Jerusalem at the time of the crucifixion of Christ, because it was Passover. And so Pontius Pilate left Caesarea, goes down to Jerusalem and tries to do a little crowd control and manage the millions of people who make pilgrimage to Jerusalem for the feasts of the Jews. But this is the place that Pontius Pilate also hung out now. Up until, check this out, up until 1961, there was no archaeological record of Pontius Pilate. And many skeptics of the Bible said Pontius Pilate, just a mention of figment of history's imagination, wasn't a real person. But in 1961, in, in the theater or the hippodrome that's also pictured here in the ruins, was discovered this limestone placard. And I know it it's rough to read, but in Latin there, etched in the limestone, it reads, Tiberium Pontius Pilatus Praefectus Udei. And it means basically Pontius, well, in the days to Tiberius Caesar, it was dedicated to Tiberius Caesar, Pontius Pilate, prefect, or governor, of Judea. And he ruled for 10 years from AD 26 to 36. And so Pontius Pilate becomes, you know, the main the main inhabitant of Caesarea. And so this, this particular town has a lot of historical significance. Now, in, in this case here, as we look, as we look um, at this place and Cornelius, I want you to note with me a few main things that are said of Cornelius here uh, that we just read in verse 2, that he was a Gentile because it tells us that he's a centurion. So he's a Roman officer. A centurion was a Roman officer in charge of 100 men. He's a Gentile. This is important to the story of Acts. And it tells us that he's devout. That word is used. It also tells us in verse 2 that he's God-fearing. And it tells us that he gave generously and he prayed regularly. Now those are the words that describe Cornelius. And Cornelius is living in Caesarea. And um, it is here that this angel appears to Cornelius in verse 3. Keep reading with me. It says, One day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. Cornelius did. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. And Cornelius stared at him in fear. (laughs) What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, Your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send some men to Joppa to bring back a man named Simon, who is called Peter. He is staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened and sent them to Joppa. So again just to orient ourselves, here he is living to the north in Caesarea. He's going to send two of his servants and a devout soldier, part of part of his uh century down to Joppa the 30 miles because why? This angel has appeared to Cornelius and and Cornelius sees this angel and this angel speaks to him. And says, what you've been doing has not gone unnoticed by God. Now, please note, he is a devout man. He's God-fearing. He gives generously. He prays regularly. He is not a believer yet in Jesus Christ. There are a lot of decent, devout, religious people who are not believers in Jesus. Okay, Cornelius is an example of a million people who go to church regularly. They're devout. They're God-fearing. They might even pray a lot. But we're going to see in a moment that nobody has helped Cornelius connect the dots of what it means to have a personal relationship with God and what it means to be saved because he doesn't understand yet the truth of Jesus and how the truth of Jesus relates to that relationship with with, with, with God. So he's devout. He's God-fearing. He prays a lot and he gives a lot. That will not get someone into heaven. One of the biggest deceptions that has penetrated the hearts and minds of a lot of good, honest, decent people, is that if they just remain good, honest, decent people, they'll get to heaven. The Bible makes it clear that we are saved by grace through faith, and this not of ourselves, it is the gift of God, n- not of works, so lest any man should boast. Even there in Ephesians 2, 8, it tells us that even the ability to believe by faith is a gift from God, but that it has to be faith exercised in response to the grace of Jesus Christ who died on a cross for us. We put our faith in His finished work. It is not by human effort that we gain entrance into heaven or have sins forgiven. It is only by what Christ has done for us, and we must put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ I have a a a real heart for people who are good God-fearing devout praying people but you and I need to help them understand that being good is not good enough the Bible says there is none righteous no not one you cannot gain entrance into heaven by being a good decent God-fearing praying person it doesn't work that way Now, what I love about this story is that God so much loves this particular individual man. Here he is, a Gentile, a Roman centurion, that God is going to send an angel to speak to him. And God is going to pursue him and go after him. Because it isn't as if the good things that people do go unnoticed. God noticed. And the angel said so. But those good things aren't enough. And so God is going to now bring into Cornelius' life the apostle Peter who's going to share with him the truth of who Jesus is. And so the angel announces this to Cornelius and says, hey, there's a guy whose name is Peter and he's staying at a house in Joppa and he even gives him the address, a guy whose name is Simon the Tanner, his house is by the sea, send men to go get Simon and bring him back. And so Cornelius does that. This has got to be obviously the best day of his life. He got up like any other morning, just having a little bit of toast and coffee there on the coast of the Mediterranean, just taking in the morning Mediterranean breeze, and all of a sudden, this angel appears to him, and his life is never going to be the same. Yours wouldn't be either. And I love the way that it says, and he just stared at the angel, and he was afraid. You don't become a centurion in the Roman army. You don't become an officer in the Roman army and, you know, be a wimp. This guy is a man's man. He's a soldier. He's a tough guy. And he's afraid. And I only point that out because sometimes when people talk about encounters with angels like it happens every day, I'm like, you got to be kidding me. You should be afraid if, if an angel of the Lord appears to you. This should be such an awesome sight to behold that you should be trembling in your sandals. And that's what Cornelius was doing here. But in response, he sends two servants and one of his trusted soldiers. You guys go down to Joppa. Tells him the whole story. I wonder if they believed him. You just saw what? Yeah, I know. You're not going to believe me. I just saw an angel. It's an incredible thing. It's going to be the best day of my life, probably yours too. You need to go down to Joppa. 30 miles, guy by the name of Simon, He's staying in another guy's house by the name of Simon. Don't get confused. He's the Tanner guy, 75 feet outside of town. You'll be able to find him. And off they go. Now, notice what God is doing. Look at, look at verse 9. What God is doing... On Peter's end of things, he's going to prepare Simon Peter as well for this whole encounter. Verse 9, it says, about noon, the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city. Okay, it's the following day. It takes two days. They're going to go 30 miles. It takes two days. It says, Peter went up on the roof to pray. So now the story is in Joppa. And he became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. Well, I can relate to that, can't you? I mean, I've been real hungry and feel like I fell into a trance. But this is obviously more than low blood sugar, okay? But it's you know, while he's while he's you know praying and he's hungry, he's waiting for the meal to be prepared. Here, he he falls into a trance. What exactly does that mean? I have I have no idea, honestly. It, but he's going to have a, a an incredible encounter here with the Lord. So this is a dream slash vision. How much of it is he conscious? How much is this, you know, in dreamland? I don't know, but it's from the Lord. And it tells us this in verse 11 that he saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet being let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four footed animals, as well as reptiles of the earth and birds of the air. And then a voice told him, Get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I have never eaten anything impure or unclean. Now, remember, look, folks, this is the guy who said to Jesus, I will never disown you. I will never deny you. So I'm not sure if never really means never. You know, I wonder if he has snuck a pork rib. You know, I don't know. Maybe not. Maybe he's had pulled pork barbecue sandwich. Maybe not. But he says never. Never. Now, what I like about this and what I find a little humorous and somewhat hypocritical, all right, you know these people who pride themselves in stuff they've never done, but yet they've done other stuff that is even more terrible, you know? It's, it's like, you know, somebody's like, I've never let alcohol touch my lips, yeah, but you've slept around all your life. Do you know what I'm saying? It's it's like, is is that is that a little inconsistent? And people begin to, I've never done this, I've never done that. Yeah, but you did this. So, you know, why 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 are you going around saying what you haven't done? Because you're just as guilty as the rest of us. So, you know, hold your tongue. But this is where Peter's Peter's this kind of guy, you know, he just makes bold promises and doesn't always deliver. You know maybe, maybe this is true i don 't know, but it, but at least here 's the hypocrisy he 's like i've never i 've never eaten anything impure or unclean, but check it out. where is he yeah he 's at a house of a guy who deals with dead animals, so he 's like i 've never had anything unclean but by the way i 'm staying at a house of a guy who 's unclean so this is this is you know Peter for you all right and uh, and what is the deal here? The deal is that in this vision. Come all these kind of animals, four-footed animals as well as reptiles of the earth, birds of the air. It isn't descriptive, but it is in Peter's response because when he takes pride in saying, because the Lord says to him, you see this that's being brought down to you from this sheet, all right, get up and eat. And he goes, I, I've never eaten anything unclean, which tells us that, th- that the animals within the sheet are unclean animals because Peter's offended in this vision that he's being asked to eat something that is not kosher. Now remember, he's a Jew, and he and he wants to abide by the letter of the law, and the letter of the law is that there were some foods that were unclean. Always an Jump
1: in and you'll find the corn your new life That's all for today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. What are some things you've taken away from the messages here in Acts? Would you let us know? You can get in touch with us by sending an email to Prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. While you're sharing what you've learned, feel free to send us a prayer request so we can know how to be praying for our listeners. That email again is prayer at cornerstonechapel.net. Our radio ministry is an outpouring of what's going on here at Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary teaches every Sunday at 8.30, 10 and 11.45 a.m. We also meet at 7 p.m. on Wednesdays. To learn more about who we are, go to cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're so happy that you're part of our listening audience, and we'd be delighted to meet you and hear your faith journey. Like so many of the people mentioned in Acts, there's much transformation that happens in a person's heart when they seek to follow after God. We hope that's the case for you, too. All that to say, we hope you'll continue to tune in to these messages and keep growing as you dig into the book of Acts with us. We'll be right here, same time, same place, at Cornerstone Connection.
2: They say you're a wandering soul. That you've got no place to go. But still you know. But still you know. You're not alone.